What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am your podcast host, Ken Levine. This is episode one, The Maiden Voyage of This Folly. Thank you very much for being here, and hopefully this will be a fun adventure for all concerned. I spent a lot of time listening to other podcasts, trying to get an idea of just what I wanted to do. I noticed that many of them have teams. There's two or three partners, and they all sit around and discuss various topics, And I've decided not to do that, not to go in that direction, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't have anybody in particular that I want to partner with. And number two, when I am listening to those podcasts, and most of them are very, very good, it still feels like I'm just eavesdropping on a conversation. And based on all of my years of doing radio, the one thing that I like to do is communicate one-to-one with the listener. So I am talking directly to you, and that's really the way I want to do the format. What exactly will we be doing on this blog? Well, primarily it will have a theme of humor. I plan not to take myself or anything else too seriously. It will be about show business. It will be about television and uh, my ersatz career. For those of you who don't know, uh, for the last years, I've been a television writer, producer, and director, working on such shows as MASH, Cheers, Frasier, The Simpsons, Wings, The Jeffersons, Everybody Loves Raymond, Darman, Greg, Just Shoot Me, and lots of shows that were canceled. I worked with a partner for many years, David Isaacs. We're still working together, and you will meet David a little bit later on in this podcast. Also, uh, we wrote the movie Volunteers with Tom Hanks, and it is the movie where he met his wife, Rita Wilson. So it is uh, elevated from all of those forgettable Tom Hanks comedies, Turner and Hooch and Money Pit and Man with a Red Shoe and Bachelor Party and crap like that. Uh, It also airs on um, TV quite a bit. For whatever reason, it gets good ratings. Thank God. I mean, it's a 30-year-old movie, and people are still watching it and enjoying it, and I'm still getting residual checks for 15 cents. So uh, keep watching that movie. In addition to that, I also have another career, which is a Major League Baseball announcer. 
I was the voice of the Baltimore Orioles, the San Diego Padres, and the Seattle Mariners. Also did some fill-in work with the Los Angeles Dodgers and hosted Dodger Talk on the Dodger Radio Network for quite a few years. So there's some uh, baseball stories that I will sprinkle in from time to time. And when I got out of college, I became a screaming top 40 disc jockey. Uh, I will be playing a sample of that, embarrassing myself a little bit later on in this podcast as well. So I've got a pretty varied background, lots of things to talk about. Um, I will be doing interviews from time to time, and I say that from time to time because I don't want to get just locked into booking people. If I find somebody interesting, I will interview him for as long as he remains interesting, and those will show up on the podcast from time to time. A very popular feature on my blog is called Friday Questions, in which I answer questions from the readers about show business and life. Is it okay to pet on the first date? That sort of thing. And I'm going to extend it to the podcast as well. So if you have any questions about uh, entertainment or anything in particular, you are uh, welcome to submit those. We'll be doing some of those each week. I'll be playing some classic comedy bits from time to time. There may be some really great comedians that uh, you just don't know yet. I'll be uh, introducing you to those. I'll be playing samples of old radio broadcasts. I have been a teacher at UCLA, and I'll be uh, giving some writing tips along the way, helping you out there. I'm also involved in an improvisational workshop So maybe from time to time, we'll be doing improv scenes. And beyond that, I don't know, just some surprises, whatever comes into my head, uh, introducing you to some interesting comedy people, uh, maybe do some contests. Who knows? I don't know. So uh, we're going to discover all of that together. But the overall theme is going to be comedy and that it is fun. Also, uh, before I get into my first topic, I should mention that even though you have not heard anything yet in terms of the content of this podcast, uh, please give me a five-star review on iTunes. They told me to say that. And uh, subscribe on iTunes. I really do appreciate when you do that. And like me in wherever you have to like me. Okay, so that's the basic introduction. Now let's get into a little bit of the content. I want to talk a little bit about uh, awards because the award season has begun and it begins each January, of course, with the Golden Globes, which is the one award show that I don't take seriously at all. Now, the Golden Globes which are given out by the Hollywood foreign press, really is like 57 people. That's it. 57 people, maybe 62, do all of the voting. And these are not necessarily correspondents that work for the uh, Bhutan Times. No, these people are, by and large, waiters here in Los Angeles, that as a sidelight, bang out uh, reviews for various newspapers around the country. That is the Hollywood foreign press. Nobody in the industry takes this seriously. Nobody at 
all. The only reason that celebrities show up for the Golden Globe Awards is, number one, because they're on television and they're a great way to really promote your movie or television show uh, in anticipation of award shows that do mean something. So that's why they're there, number one. And number two, they're there because it is a dinner. So Hollywood is fed. Hollywood will go anywhere for a free meal. And more than that, they are liquored up. So the Golden Globes is pretty much a giant party sponsored by somebody else. And they give you awards. And you get to be on national television. So that's why the Golden Globes really do exist. But in terms of any meaning, nah, you can win 42 Golden Globes and it doesn't account for anything. A couple of years ago, The Martian was the best comedy of the year, according to the Golden Globes. So it really is ridiculous. And even the hosts like Ricky Gervais just dumps on the awards themselves. Part of the problem with the Golden Globes is that they can be bought. Do you remember an actress named P. Isadora? No, you probably don't. It's because she hasn't been around for years and years. Well, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, something like that, um, she was an aspiring actress, and she was married to the owner of the Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas. This guy was rich. And he sponsored a giant dinner for all of the members of the Hollywood Foreign Press. And surprise, surprise, P. Isadora won an award that year. Jamie Lee Curtis was on a television show called Anything But Love, did pretty much the same thing, and got pretty much the same result. One of the shows that I co-created was called Almost Perfect, starring Nancy Travis in the mid-90s. It was on CBS for a couple of seasons. And we tried to buy a Golden Globe. We had a big breakfast for them, but only half of the members showed up. So uh, we only got half the votes, unfortunately. But, um, again, the Golden Globes mean absolutely nothing. I remember one time uh, when Lawrence Olivier, the great Lawrence Olivier, won a Golden Globe, and it broke in his hand. As he's standing up there giving his acceptance speech, uh, the Golden Globe just broke off right in his hands. Uh, Another award show that is completely bogus is the People's Choice Awards. Now, you've seen the People's Choice Awards. Here's the little secret on that thing. They tell you beforehand if you have won. Why? Because it's the only way they are going to get the winners to go down and appear on the, the, uh, the award show. So uh, the first year of Cheers... We were nominated for a People's Choice Award, and we won, which was very exciting. And so we went down to the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium or wherever they were holding this stupid thing, and they only gave out one actual statue per category. So, in other words, if I want my own 
People's Choice Award, and you know those those crystal, teardrop, globby-looking things, it was going to cost me $350. So I said, fuck it. So I'm a People's Choice Award winner, but I do not have the award. Let me tell you what it is like to actually win one of these awards. Because you watch on TV... And you see people standing up there and they're holding their statues and they're thanking people. And you're thinking, my God, this is like one of the great moments in their lives. What's going through their heads? What is the experience like? And I can only share with you what happened the year that I won an Emmy, a primetime Emmy, which for me was very, very exciting because uh, I'm not at all athletic. So as a kid, I never even won any trophies for Little League or bowling or anything like that. And, you know, this was before the days when, you know, they gave out trophies to every kid just for playing. You know, this was uh, pre-millennial days. So uh, for me, this was like the first time I ever actually won a statue. Plus, David and I had been nominated several times in the past, and on all previous occasions, we had lost. So to actually win was really a great, great event in my life. So we're sitting in the auditorium, and it was in the Pasadena Auditorium, and the only thing I know that ever plays at the Pasadena Auditorium, the Emmy Awards. I don't even think they do that there anymore. But uh, we're sitting, and the presenters come out for Best Comedy of the Year. Now, every year the Emmys have a theme. This particular year, the theme was, I guess, Pioneers of Television. They dragged out all these old television icons from the late 40s and early 50s, And so the presenters for the best comedy of the year 1982 was Arthur and Catherine Murray. You're probably going, Arthur and Catherine? Who? Who? Well, that's what we were all saying. Arthur and Catherine Murray were a couple. They were, I think, 115 years old. And they had a dance instruction show. You talk about early reality TV, a dance instruction show that was very popular and was on the air for years and years, teaching you how to do the foxtrot and the cha-cha and that sort of thing. And they came out to present the award for the best comedy. And everybody, there was like a murmur in the audience, everybody going, they're still alive? What? I Really? I thought they died 15 years ago. So they read the nominees, Arthur reads the nominees, and then Catherine rips open the envelope. And this is like the big moment in my life, you know, to hear whether or not I've won. And she goes, and the winner is... And I go, what? She meant cheers, but I guess her teeth fell out. And suddenly I hear the cheers theme and go, oh, shit, yeah, we won. And I was sitting next to actress Swoozy Kurtz at the time, and she elbowed me in the ribs and said, get the fuck up there, you've won. So now I run up onto the stage, 
and I'm up there with my partner, David Isaacs, and Glenn and Les Charles, and Jim Burroughs. This was before the days when everybody involved in a production of a television show goes up to receive an award. It was really just us writers, us producers, who actually got awards, and they do give you an Emmy. You don't have to buy it. And those were also before the days when only one person was allowed to speak and give an acceptance speech. So in this case, all of us were allowed to get up there and say a few words. And now, my speech was very, very short. I thanked my wife, my kid, all my friends. That was it. Because I knew that there were going to be 30 million people who hate me if I have a long speech. So why bother doing that? And the other thing, I'm looking out at the audience, the sea of faces, and everybody is just glaring at me. And I understand it because I was one of the guys glaring in years past when I lost. They're all looking at you like, you know, oh, son of a bitch, you won and I didn't. So it's, it's not a very supportive, loving Hollywood crowd. And the other thing that was going through my mind, and I'm going to have to back up just a few sentences to uh, explain this. Um, my draft number was four. Now, that sounds like uh, a random switch in topics, but it's not. My draft number was four, so I got my ass into an Armed Forces Radio Reserve unit to stay out of Vietnam. And I had to go through basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is in the top of the Ozarks in the middle of the winter. And I was the worst soldier ever. I mean, it took 15 minutes to take apart a weapon. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to put a tent together. It's like, right, sure. Um, terrible, terrible soldier. And everyone in the unit thought that I was the world's biggest fuck-up. So when I'm standing on that stage in front of that microphone holding that statue, what's going through my head is I wonder how many guys from Delta 5-2 are watching and going, oh, my God, him. That was what was going through my head. Okay, so we give the speech, and then what happens is you walk off stage, and there is a giant board for all of the winners to sign. Then you take a picture with your presenters. I have a picture in my office standing with uh, Arthur and Catherine Murray. At that point, uh, somebody from the Academy picks you up and leads you through a series of interview rooms. There's about seven or eight of these rooms, and one will be local radio, and the next will be national magazines, and the next will be national radio, TV, what? I don't know. You just walk through these things. People are holding microphones in front of your face. They're asking you the same questions. You answer the questions. After about three or four minutes, uh, they tug on your shoulder and they move you to the next room where there's another collection of idiots asking you the same question. And behind you are the next winners. So we go from room to room to room to room. And eventually, the uh, person from the academy points to a door. So we walk out through this door, and the door slams behind us, and we are now in the alley, 
at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium. There is a giant dumpster with flies buzzing around, and it's about 115 degrees, and we're standing there like a bunch of idiots in our tuxedos holding our Emmys in the alley. We try to get back. The door is locked. So now we have to, like, walk the length of the building. We finally get down to the end, and we look down, and and there's all the guys from Hill Street Blues that won Best Drama, and they're standing in the alley, and they're also completely befuddled. What the hell are they doing there? And we have to wave them over. Hey, come on over here. Here's where we are. Um, That's what it is like to win an Emmy. You know, everyone in the world is interested in you and asking you questions, and you're on the the top of the world, and then you go through a door, and two seconds later, you are in the alley with flies buzzing around. So that's uh, award season as the weeks unfold and we get into the Oscars and that sort of thing. Uh, I'll be talking a lot more about that, and as I mentioned, I always do... Oscar recaps, which I've done for years in the blog and I will do in this podcast. This is Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, coming back with a lot more right after this. Welcome back. I spent many years working on multi-camera shows, and that means that they were done in front of a live audience with four cameras. So anytime we had to do any kind of even minor special effect, we would have to hire somebody in the special effect department. And I remember once we were on Wings and we wanted to have a snowball fight between two of the characters. And so we went to the special effects guy and he came up with all of these elaborate plastic snowballs that had just the right weight and when there was a certain impact, they would explode. Or so, I don't really remember, except that they wanted to charge the production something like $30,000. And we were saying, just get some ice and squash them up into snowballs. This should cost 52 cents. Anyway, my partner, David Isaacs, had a character he called Mr. Special Effects. And any time we wanted to do any kind of even minor, trivial special effect, we would have Mr. Special Effects come on the scene and give us an idea of just how he would do it and how much it cost. So I thought I would introduce you now to Mr. Special Effects. And this is a prime example of the type of thing that we would face while working on Frasier. Okay, so here's what we need. Mm-hmm. We want the control board that uh, Roz works on yeah. to sort of overheat, and uh, as a result, maybe a spark or two or a little bit of smoke uh-huh. to come out of the board. Uh, how, how do we do that? Well, basically, Mr. Levin, uh, what we do is... Uh, I'll rig the board for you. Now you want—I'm I'm assuming you want some sparks to fly up and and a kind of uh, a bit of a maybe even a, a bit of flames to come out of there. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay, we can do that for you. Well, here's what we've got to do, and of course it's always safety first. Mm-hmm. Always safety first. Uh, my father, you know, uh, when he was doing his uh, thing, and that's where I learned it from because he was on so many great movies of the '50s and and '60s, and um, 
and and things like uh, how the West was won and uh, and uh, uh, attack with Mr. Jack Palance and Mr. Uh, Eddie Albert, and never lost a a, a person, uh, never had an accident. Only one time in any of the movies he made um, was uh, was there someone hurt who actually lost a leg. Uh, that was in Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> oh. uh, it's a long story. It's a long story. I won't bore you with it. Anyway, so what we'll do is I'll rig the uh, my man and I, uh, uh, Mr. Adam Belinoff and I will um, we'll rig it up for you. So uh, what'll happen is um, it'll spark out for you, but I have to put some uh, charges in there. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'll so what I'll do is, and this is once again safety first. I will rig. Five charges inside the uh, uh, attach them to the board, and so they'll go off in sequence, and then uh, one, two, three, four explosions. They won't be big, but they'll be enough that you know we we want a little uh, safety. So what I do is then I'll I'll, I'll rig bigger charge in the middle, and should uh, there be too much, I'll blow that, and that'll smother all the flames. So you basically. Uh, you're basically uh, putting in a, a, a charge in the middle to uh, as a safety precaution. I see. Okay. So now I have to talk to you about the safety of the performer. Now, um, uh, the, the lady who's playing Roz. Yes. Um, what we're going to do is, and I assume she's going to, because you're in front of an audience, you can't put in a stunt person. This is true. Okay. Yeah, we have to use her. So what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we're going to for uh, for reasons of safety, we're going to have to uh, cover her to with about an inch to an inch and a half of uh, Vaseline petroleum jelly, mm-hmm. and that'll protect her uh, or protect her skin. Uh, should there should I have to go with that fifth uh, explosion? Gotcha. Um, then I have to ask you a very important question: Was there an actress that you liked? Almost as much as uh, the lady who's playing the part now. Uh, actually, no. So um, you know, it's, it's really kind of hard to replace. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that that that's helpful. That's helpful, and it and it and it'll uh, and it'll help me de- determine how many grains of charge I need uh, I- I- to pull this damn thing what off. What about so, her wardrobe? Uh, that you can expect to lose. I, I would have several backups for that, but. Um, there's a good chance that that could. Uh, well, we want some flame retardant kind of stuff, but at the same time, you want fashion, so sure. you don't want to, you know, you want to uh, go with the usual kind of stuff. But but um, but she will be herself covered with about an inch to an inch and a half of uh, Vaseline petroleum jelly. How many people will be on the set in order to uh, pull this stunt off? Well, uh, I'll need about. Uh, well, I'll need myself and Adam, and then there'll be about four other people. Uh, there to with uh, with uh, fire extinguishers and some other para- safety paraphernalia. Once again, it's always always safety, safety first. And um, how much will this stunt cost? Uh, I have to go back and look at it with the charges and and uh, the time and and labor and and people. But I I probably can bring it in for you for about a quarter of a million dollars. Well, it's a stunt. Uh, well, it'll be. On camera for probably five or six seconds, so that's probably a good deal. Yeah, you know, well, that's would be discounting you because I love the show. I think it's a great show. How many weeks or months would you need to uh, set this up? Oh, uh, I need about. Oh, wow! I got my sketchbook. I got a. I got a. 
I got to sketch it out. I got, uh, I'd probably say uh, at least half a season. All right. Well, go for it. Well, thank you very much, and I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it, and I hope it works better on uh, the, the uh, than the stunt we did with the crane uh, that. Uh, that was swinging by uh, Fraser's apartment. That was uh, unfortunate, I know, but uh, but I think in the end, the, the audience found it amusing. One of the more popular features of my blog is Friday Questions, in which I answer questions from the readers about uh, the industry or life in general, whether it's okay to pet on the first date, that sort of thing. And I thought it's something that I would extend to the podcast as well. Uh, You can leave your questions on our webpage, on our Facebook page, if we have them up, uh, or on the blog. But let me answer a couple of Friday questions here. Uh, The first one comes from Chris, who asks, do you get more royalties if you used to be the showrunner of a series, or do you get them just for episodes you've written and the characters you've created? Well, Chris, uh, you actually just get them for the episodes that you've written, and showrunners frequently rewrite every draft, and most don't really take the script to arbitration to try to get their names attached, a few do, But they believe that rewriting is part of the job and that uh, that's why they get the big salary. Um, However, some showrunners do stick their names on every script. And usually these are the the writers that uh, you don't want to work for (laughs) because uh, your name on a script not only means credit on screen, but it also means that you participate in royalties in any residuals. And so if the showrunner puts his name on your script, then basically your royalties are cut in half. Now, in all of my years uh, doing shows, my partner and I have been showrunners, head writers, et cetera, et cetera, and only one time did we ever take a script to arbitration, and we actually won that arbitration. And the writer was a freelancer, and he came back with an outline that was completely different from the story that we sent him out on. So we told him, okay, go back to the original outline that we had given you and write a first draft from that. So weeks and weeks and weeks go by, no draft. Finally, we called his agent and we said, hey, if it's not on our desk by Monday morning, we are pulling the assignment. So the scripts arrived that Monday, and again, he had strayed way off the mark. I have no idea what he was thinking. We told the agent that we were really pissed, that he had done a horrible job, and two days later, the writer delivered yet a second draft. And again, it was nowhere near the story that we had approved. At that point, we just threw out all of his drafts, all of his outlines. David and I wrote the entire script based on our outline, which was the same outline that we had given him, and we took that to arbitration, and we won. Meanwhile, we rewrote hundreds and hundreds of other people's scripts and always gave the original writer full credit. And in one instance, we were nominated for a Writers Guild Award up against a MASH that we had completely rewritten, a 100% rewrite, and that script beat us. So we basically shot ourselves in the foot. John T. asks, 
Uh, I would like to get a copy of a script for a spec that I am writing. Who exactly do I contact to accomplish this? Well, there are a number of things that you could do. First of all, especially if you're not living in Los Angeles, check around on the Internet and see if somewhere copies of that script are available, or that show, I should say, are available. Now, if you're in Los Angeles, there are a couple of resources that you can go to. The Writers Guild has an amazing library. That would be my first stop. Also, there are libraries at UCLA and USC. And by the way, the Writers Guild Library could use your help. They're trying to expand. So if you could go to uh, WGA.org and find out about the foundation. They do a lot of great things. Uh, But those are ways of getting the scripts. Uh, You might also contact the show. Now, oftentimes this is futile, but sometimes the show themselves will be very gracious and will send you a copy. It's probably easier now. They can just email you a PDF. But those are pretty much the best ways of getting a hold of a script. So those are a couple of Friday questions no matter what day this is that you happen to be listening. When we come back, I'm going to embarrass myself because I am going to play a sample of me as a disc jockey back in 1977. Hollywood and Levine continues right after this. My first job out of college was as a top 40 disc jockey. This was back in the 70s when radio stations still had high-energy top 40 stations where the momentum was always moving forward and the disc jockeys were always exciting and talking over the intros of records and that sort of thing. And um, I became one of those guys. The problem is I did not have the classic DJ voice. I still don't. But especially back then, and especially when uh, the rule of the day was to talk very fast and to be very exciting, um, I was Beaver Cleaver. That was my radio air name. And I uh, appeared on stations in Bakersfield and San Bernardino, Detroit, New York, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego. And uh, I'm going to play you a brief sample of what I sounded like back in 1977. This is KTNQ Los Angeles, the new 10Q, and I was on there with the real Don Steele and a lot of other legendary jocks. Charlie Tuna was on that station briefly for a while as well. And uh, so this is a sample of my air work. Now, this is called a telescoped air check. What is that? Well, when disc jockeys would go on the air, we would put a cassette in a uh, recorder, and the recorder was hooked up to the microphone. So anytime I turned the microphone on to speak on the radio, it turned on the tape recorder. So when I finished speaking and it would turn off the mic, then it would turn off as well. So you're only getting like the first 10 seconds of a song, and then it goes swish, and then you get the very end of the song. It's a way that we could do a five-hour radio show and have a 15-minute tape. So that's a telescope tape. It is me without the songs, 
And so here from 1977, as we set the dive variable Vivo Fetzer for the past and let the time slide roll, is Beaver Cleaver on the new 10Q. 10Q with Beaver Cleaver and Crystal Gale. Don't it make my brown eyes blue? Call Earl Shive. He'll paint any eye, any color for $39.95. Don't know when I've been so blue. Don't it make my brown eyes? Don't it make my brown eyes? Don't it make my brown eyes? It's hard to tell with that paper bag over your head. 10Q, where Willie B is going to be here in minutes with a Super Hollow Notes Fun Pack plus Wham. That's right, W A M. Here's E L O, and I'm into living things. That's right, I'm not one for necrophilia. It's 949 and Beaver Cleaver. RSO Records presents two of this year's hottest albums. Bee Gees Live. What price did Licorice Pizza where you always get your music nicer? Thank you. Hi, this is Bob Dylan. Before my feet start wandering, I thought I'd do one of my favorite tunes. You got a lot of nerve. I say you Positively 4th Street. That's Robert Zimmerman. Remember your roots, Bob. 954 in Beaver. Five people survive a nuclear holocaust. Now they must survive the only remaining passageway to civilization. Hey, see, damnation alley starts Friday. Check newspapers for a theater near you. A new 10Q in the Carpenters. In your mind, you have capacities, you know. Carpenters are really heavy, aren't they? Get them on out of here. Go ahead. Makes you wonder what Andy Williams is going to come up with next. Go ahead. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for leaving it to Beaver. Willie B is next with Wham. We'll see you next Saturday night at 6. Remember, nothing's as good as a feast to an idiot. All the monkeys are in the zoo because every day you meet quite a few. Words are my lifeline. Have a posturepedic morning and everything is upside and out of tight. I was insane, wasn't I? Okay, in future weeks, I'll be talking more about my Erzatz radio career and uh, giving you more samples. So that is going to do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine. Thank you very much for listening on this maiden voyage. I would appreciate your likes. I would appreciate you uh, subscribing to this wherever. Also, your comments. What do you like? What don't you like? I'm just kind of feeling my way along here, especially on episode number one. We will be back next week. My thanks to Susie Meister-Butler and to Adam Butler and to you for actually sitting through this madness. Uh, Talk to you soon. Okay, you can get off the treadmill. Bye-bye.